0: Friends, the story of Abraham, Sarah, Hagar, Ishmael, and Isaac travels across chapters in the book of Genesis. There's likely more than one author telling the story of promise and covenant, of relationship and identity, of destiny and progeny. But no matter, God is really the star of this story. It's God who calls Abram, Tells them to pick all this stuff and all his people and all his things and get on the move toward a new destination. It is God who promises land, who promises to old people, very old people, that they will be ancestors to multitudes, to kings. It is God who watches Abram and Sarah take matters in their own hand as they get Abram to marry, then impregnate Hagar, an African woman, an Egyptian woman, handmade. Hagar. It is God who notices as Hagar um, receives the scorn of Sarah, as Sarah gets resentful and puts her out of doors. It's God who names Ishmael, who sees Hagar out in the wilderness, who rescues them both in their thirst and in their hunger. It is God who is named by Hagar, Elroy, God who sees me, it is God, let me pause to say, named by an Egyptian woman, an enslaved woman, an African woman, the first woman to encounter an angel, a messenger from God in the Hebrew scriptures, the first person to have this experience and also the only person in the Hebrew Bible to give God a name. She names God out of her experience. She names God out of her theological wrestling. She names God as she evolves from enslavement and powerlessness, even of her body, as she exists in an arranged marriage, as she's put out, full of life, expected with child, as she gives birth to a boy, as she languishes in the wilderness, she names God Elroy. Because God sees her and God keeps promises because Hagar is promised to be a mother of a nation and she is the progeny of Ishmael, our Plenty, Muslims all over the globe. God is the lead character in the story that is full of naming moments. 13 years after the birth of Ishmael, for whatever reason, is the God of many names, Elroy, Elohim, Yahweh, I am who I am. It's this God who decides that there's another child needed in order to fulfill the promise. It's God who announces the miraculous pregnancy once again to this 90-year-old plus couple, and the boy child will be born to them. It's God who changes Sarai's name to Sarah, Princess perhaps because she'll be mother to kings. It is God who changes Abram's name to Abraham from exalted father to father of multitudes. And just like God named Hagar's son, Ishmael, God who listens, God named Sarah's boy, Isaac, one who laughs because Sarah and Abraham crack up when God tells them, that they're going to produce a child out of their ancient loins. God changes the name of Sarah and Abraham because there's a new covenant, a new partnership, a new everlasting covenant that is for them and for generations upon generations to come. Sarah and Abraham are not just two individuals now in a relationship with God. They represent the people, the peoplehood. Their role is for all the nations, for all of the people who will flow from their fruit. So it's not just about them now, it's an outward facing covenant in which God will be God to Abraham and Sarah, but also to their people, to their children. This name change signals a new relationship, an evolving new relationship. And God who is God all the time, God who will have many names, God who receives the name from a black outsider, El Roy, where's that new name like any of us who want to be desperately seen, known, and loved? That God in this new moment with Sarah and Abraham introduces a new name for the new moment. God calls God's self El Shaddai. You heard it read today, God Almighty, that English translation comes from some Greek and Latin understandings of the word, but let me talk a little bit about El Shaddai. I'm a nerd, and I love digging into these texts and the etymology of these words. Shaddai appears 48 times in the Bible, seven times as El Shaddai, five times in Genesis, first in the text we heard today. Thank you so much for reading. Once in Exodus and once in Ezekiel. The first time that we hear this text, God says to Abraham, I am El Shaddai, hear and obey. Similarly, in Genesis 35, God introduces God's self to Jacob and says, I'm El Shaddai. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations will come from you. So what does El Shaddai mean? Well, one theory is that Shaddai is a derivative of the word Shadu, which means mountain in Hebrew. God of the mountains, God of the mountaintop. The Latin and the Greek end up with God Almighty because of the word mountain. But when they do that, they a little bit put God in a box. Stay with me here. Another understanding is that Shaddai might be related to the Hebrew word Shadad which means to overpower or destroy. And this refers to God's absolute power, God who will triumph over every obstacle and every opposition. Okay, good, good, like that. But in fact, not in theory, the word Shaddai comes from the root word Shad. Shad, Shad means breast. Shaddai is plural for breasts. El Shaddai means the many-breasted one. The many-breasted one. Now, you might have mountainous breasts, but it means the many-breasted one. The many-breasted one is likely able to overcome all opposition and is full of power. But there is also the sense that the many-breasted one is the nurturing, providing, supplying, life-giving God. Hence, in this whole narrative with Sarah and Abraham, God introduces God's aspect that will partner with them to make some baby and keep the babies alive. When God wants Sarah and Abraham to participate in the birthing of new life, in the nurturing of a new covenant, God introduces herself as the many-breasted one. It is possible that El Shaddai is an ancient name referring to the creator as the ultimate maternal provider. Why? Because in ancient agrarian cultures, mother goddess worship was so prevalent. Hello, my friends who believe. In Goddesses. In Exodus, God gave the name El Shaddai to Moses, but also added an additional name, an additional identifier YHWH. Some say Yahweh, some say Jehovah, but YHWH means I am that I am. (coughs) Excited, allergies. I am that I am, and there's no reference to gender in that name. But of course, in the Hebrew and in uh, Christian scriptures across time, God's aspects are described in many ways. They depict power, vulnerability. Remember God in the Noah story with the rainbow, where God is like sad that God actually destroyed humanity and promises never to do it again. God is depicted as protection, as nurture, as wrath, as punishment, as the giver of life. God is theologized because that's what this is. This is humans wrestling with the God thing. It's humans doing the work of trying to understand the understandable, name the ineffable. This is theology. And God is depicted as complex, Multifaceted, able to engage with humans in the space they exist in the way they need. Maternal and paternal qualities are ascribed to God by the people of God, who first begin to know about God in the context of the relationships with their parents, their caregivers. So, God is a mother protecting her young. God is a father teaching his son to walk. God is a mother bear. God is a good shepherd, a mother nursing her young, a passionate husband, a mother giving birth, and a male ruler of a kingdom. All of these aspects of God flow from the human imagination, from the theology in our minds and our hearts as we seek to understand our circumstances and God invites us into a relationship in which God can be her multiple aspects and in which we can be our authentic selves. Wow. Elastic, generative, creative, imaginative language for the God who is that we won't ever fully understand, the mystery that we seek to know we get to do that work together with God's blessing. I have a brother. I have several brothers. I have some brothers with some R names. Richard Jr., Ronald, Rodney, and Roderick. They named themselves Rich, Ron, Rod, and Rod. And I'll tell you what, those two Rods, the youngest two, when you say, hey Rod, I don't know how but they know which one you mean, and that's the one that answers. Is it about the tone of voice? Are they magic? I don't know. But they hear their names and they respond. I have another brother, Joey. This brother is made family. I've known Joey for years at Middle Church. He's a retired police officer, a detective who sacrificed his health on 9-11, on site trying to get Folks who were live out and then on site for months, helping families deal with the remains of their loved ones, the fragments of their lives. Joey was coming fully into Joeyness when I first met him, changing pronouns. I remember hearing Joey talk about it differently. I remember the way it felt great to Joey to have me say his name in my mouth, with my mouth and my heart, to say Joey and have him respond, to see him, to recognize him, to love him. He has introduced himself to me over and over again over time, evolving, showing more, telling more. I saw Joey a few weeks ago. Handsome, skin glowing, beautiful, golden, a thick shock of gray hair, cut short, dancing eyes. A slimmer form, healthier from living a healthy or clean life out in the desert, exercising, getting rid of the 9-11 toxins. I love Joey so much. And at times i stumbled, stumbled with language like I have with my friend Graham, like I have with my teammate Elise. I stumble in my tongue trips over my new learning, my new understanding, my emerging understanding. And when I get it right, when we get it right, it's fierce. It's fiercely loving to affirm that which we see, that which we are told, that which we are shown by our queer friends, our queer friendly. As Victor Hugo says, to love another person, I'm going to say to name another person. The way they want to be named is to see the face of God to see the face of God who names herself for herself, who received a name from a black outsider, who expects to be called on, prayed to in the ways that we feel good about, the ways that feel good in our mouth. My queer friends who say God is queer I struggle with that at first, I'll be honest. If I say God is queer, will that sound weird to someone who I'm trying to connect with, who I'm trying to reach out to, will they feel left out if I say that? I who think of God as a curvy black woman with dreadlocks, I who call God mama, mother, papi, auntie, TT, holy friend, creator, redeemer, sustainer, I who call God ever loving, I who make up a new name for God depending on what time of day it is. In the freedom of myself and the freedom of my theological wrestling, I know that no matter what I call God, she shows up, she listens, she loves the naming, delights in the naming, delights in the way I claim her. She wants to be seen and known and loved. She is inti- <laughs> intimately connected to me, to you, to joy, to my brother's In all their R's, all the rods, like she was to Hagar and Sarah and Abraham and their progeny, I have to say, I have been queered in my 30 years of ministry. My, My siblings have changed me, transformed me. Joey has changed me. Elise, Graham, Wesley, Matt, Ivan, Sherry, Zen, changed me. Of course God is queer. God who is Yahweh and Elohim and Elroy and El Shaddai, of course God is as queer as she needs to be, wants to be, to, to be in conversation with my siblings, named by the ones she loves, the ones she named, the ones who named themselves, the ones who named themselves. Why does this matter? Because my queer friends, my non-binary, genderqueer, trans, gay, bisexual questioning, lesbian, intersex, my friends are created in the image of God and they get to name themselves and they get to name the God who loves us all. God invites that, maybe even demands that. The theological wrestling, the intimacy, the dancing, the imaginative relating that makes us partners with God in the healing of the world. Who shall I say is sending me, Moses said. The God of many breasts, honey, was sending Sarah and Abraham into a new covenant. I'm here to say there is power in naming, there is love in naming and there is harm and violence. Okay, and misnaming. Pronouns matter, names matter, language matters. Our siblings can get hurt by those of us who are fiercely loving. When we aren't careful, we can be loving better. And in this fiercely loving community, in this Pride Month and Always, I want us to be students of our queer siblings experience. What does Joey want to be called? How does lease name themselves? How do we best participate in the liberation of our queer family? This is not only the work to do. I mean, it's not just about naming. We have to fight for justice, overturn policies that discriminate. We must listen, learn, and understand. But on the way to all of that, we must love, period. I don't want you signing petitions about what's happening in Arizona, but not taking time to be in dialogue with the queer folk in your neighborhood, in your family, about what they need from us to feel loved fully. And I want us to be thinking this as well just one more thought that the God who has many aspects has created us with many aspects. And language fails that. Earlier in the week, I was saying I've got maleness and femaleness, but can you hear the binary? Doug Jackie. What happens? How do we think about the fluidity of our gender, the many ways we are who we are sexually? How do we think about coming out to our own multiple facets, to our own queerness? What happens if we liberate ourselves, own ourselves? What kind of compassion does that grow? rather than projecting rigidity on others, because we don't want to look at what might be blurred, blended, multiple parts in ourselves. What happens if we consider the inadequacy of the binary, not only in our friends, not only in our relationships, but also in our own experience. As we grow in faith, as we let our God grow up, as we let our God grow up, we will find Yahweh, El Shaddai, Elohim, mama, titi, auntie, papi, daddy, brother, sister, mother, moon, earth, God. And this is how we march for pride. It's not on the last Sunday of June. It's the road we decide to take every day, every day, toward new understandings, in love, in love, period, may it be so.